0: To so open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing to explore Old Testament scriptures that deal with the term the day of the Lord, and we are comparing and contrasting the term the day of the Lord with a term that we uh, reviewed here a few programs ago, called the Day of Christ, and when someone just casually reads through the scriptures, they can see Day of Christ and the Day of the Lord, and think to themselves, "Well, this is one and the same thing." Um, there is no read, no reason to pause here and to see necessarily what's going on, and can completely misunderstand a passage of scripture. So that is why. Uh, primarily we're going through this, is so that we can see from a study of the Scriptures the difference, the very clear, uh, important, detailed difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord, and how important this is to have an understanding of that difference as we get ready to look at a list of 30 prophetic events listed in the Bible that will take place Uh, between now and the end of the book of Revelation, which we call eternity. Understanding these terms, because they're both going to show up during that study, and they talk about two distinctly different periods of time. Um, I pray that because of uh, what we talked about over the last several programs relative to the Day of Christ, that you have come to an understanding that the Day of Christ applies to the church And remember from Ephesians, that's the Jews and the Gentiles who during the age of the church come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's going to be a point in time, and it's actually the next event, the next prophetic event. It's a signless event. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's called the rapture of the church and the beam of seat judgment. And that's what the day of Christ is referencing. So the day of Christ is relative to the church church it's a very positive, it's a very exciting, It's a, and the Bible talks about eagerly awaiting, eagerly awaiting. You don't eagerly await punishment, but you do eagerly await a glorious reunion of like-minded believers with Jesus Christ. We're going to see him face-to-face, we're going to be wedded to him as his bride, he being our bridegroom. And it's all going to be a very rewarding, uh, with rewards, a very rewarding time and something that uh, I'm extremely excited about and I'm eagerly awaiting. And I pray that you are too. And if if you don't have that seat, sense of uh, eagerness about waiting for this, I pray that as we go through these scriptures that you will become more and more eager, if you will, because this can't help, at least it's certainly been my experience and those that um, I've been around for a number of years as we've led studies and been part of studies that as we go through these scriptures, you can't help but be excited about what's going to take place at the event called the rapture because the, the Lord very clearly tells us that when he comes back to judge the world, that the church is not going to be part of that judgment. The, the church is going to be with him as he judges, but we will have been with him for a period of time because we will have been raptured out before any of the ugliness of the tribulation takes place because the tribulation, the purpose of the tribulation is to refine principally Israel, but any Gentiles that are on the earth at that time, uh, they will all, Jew and Gentile alike, be judged during the uh, period of time called the Day of the Lord and will be judged, and some will be counted as righteous and will enter the millennial kingdom. But many of them, and unfortunately most of them, according to the scripture, will be judged as unworthy and unrighteous and will be cast into hell and ultimately into the lake of fire. So understanding the difference between those two terms, and we actually have seven sets of terms that we're going through term uh, set number one was the Son of God versus the Son of Man. We're now looking at the day of Christ uh, compared to the day of the Lord. And when we finish the day of the Lord, we'll though go, then go into the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom which was preached to Israel, and then the gospel of grace or the gospel of personal salvation which was preached to to what we call the church age, and it was preached to the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, But principally, it'll be the Gentile that accepts it. And we need to understand the difference between those two gospels. Um, You think, well, there's just one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. But we have to understand who's being spoken to about what and in what period of time. So the gospel of the kingdom And we'll look at that compared to the gospel of grace, because once the tribulation yet future starts, the Lord will go back to the gospel of the kingdom, because as it was focused on Israel during his first coming, it will be focused, that being the gospel of the kingdom will be focused on Israel once again, because they will be the primary focus during the tribulation, because the church will not be there. So, to get into Scripture, which is really why we're here, is to explore the Scriptures so that we can better understand these terms. Let's go back into the book of Isaiah, back into the book of Isaiah. And in our last program, we were in Isaiah 13. And if you were with us in our last program, uh, you know how uh, somber, I guess is a good way to describe it, how somber. Uh, it was to read through those uh, verses. We read verses 6 through 13 as just lifting those out to get an understanding of the day of the Lord and just how bad, (laughs) bad a time it's going to be. And uh, since we have a number of scriptures we need to get through, I'm going to go ahead and just jump into Isaiah 34. So we have been in Isaiah 2. And, we, and that's verses 12 to 21. Then we were in Isaiah 13, verses 6 to 13. For those of you who do not have a copy of our worksheet, and again, you can download this worksheet. Uh, it's updated every week as we go through these teachings. And you can download it from this radio station's website. So now we're going to stay in the book of Isaiah and go to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34 and we're going to look at the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 34. Verse 1 starts, Draw near, O nations, to hear. Listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation Is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the host of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction." The sword of the Lord is filled with blood, and is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will also fall with, it, with them, and young bulls with strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with blood and their dust become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. For the cause of Zion. So again, as we saw in Isaiah 2 and as we saw in Isaiah 13, we see the same phraseology. We see the same use of these judging terms and the de- the destruction that's going to take place and the death that's going to be meted out. And in all of the cases, you notice that it's talking of, you see the term all a lot, all the nations, all their armies, all the peoples, uh, the earth and all that it contains, that this is a global judgment that Jesus is going to mete out at his second coming uh, as part of this phraseology, the day of the Lord. And I wanted to um, take you specifically um, to, to build on this particular point about it being the day of the Lord. And I'd like you to go down to um, verse, starting in verse 5, because it says in the second line, and I'm using my NASB here, in the second line it says, behold, second line of verse 5 of Isaiah 34. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom, referring to the sword of the Lord. And then you go down to verse 6 and look at the second to the last line and it says, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Basra was an ancient town located in Edom. And if you were to look at a map, uh, even a map of the modern Middle East, and you locate Israel, and you go down to the bottom of Israel on the map, and you'll see a body of water variously called the Red Sea or the Gulf of Aqaba. And right at the northern tip of that is a town called Elot, which is the southern part of Israel, right above there and to the right over in what is modern day Jordan was ancient Edom, ancient Edom. And within Edom, there was an ancient town called Basra. Basra, it's not there today under that name. But in ancient times, it was a town called Basra in the land of Edom. And there's two things I wanted to show you here to help Put this into chronological context, if you will. And the first is to stay in Isaiah, but let's go to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. And I want to read a few verses there because they are in direct parallel with what we're talking about here. So if you would go to Isaiah 63, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And then after that, I want to show you something very interesting in Daniel chapter 11, verse 41. So let's go to De- Isaiah chapter 63 first, and I'll read the first six verses. Now, read this with an understanding, and I know you could actually put your hand in Isaiah 34, and we can flip back and forth because you're going to see the same phraseology, the same phraseology here. Isaiah 63 verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom? So there you see that geographic area again. Remember, that's the southern tip of Israel. If you find the Gulf of Aqaba and the town of Elot at the very northern end of that Gulf of Aqaba, over to the right and going north, or to the east, I should say, into Jordan and going north, that is ancient Edom. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? So there it is again, that ancient town that is not there. And actually, it's interesting the Greek, or Greek, the uh, Hebrew uh, word for Basra means gathering of grapes, gathering of grapes. Now, with that understanding of the Hebrew meaning for the word basra, let me continue on here in Isaiah 63. This one, referring to the Lord, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Verse 2, why is your apparel red? and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress. Remember, we're talking about basra means gathering of grapes. Verse 3, I have trodden the wine, the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. Raiment is clothing. Verse 4, For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own so my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. Verse 6, I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. So he, basically what is being described here in Isaiah chapter 34, and again in more graphic detail, if you will, in Isaiah 63, is the coming of the Lord at his second coming, at the end of the tribulation, in order to judge the world. And he starts his judging, actually way down at the southern end of Israel, over on the Jordanian side. Now, very quickly, and I I said we were going to go to... um, Daniel. But first, let's go to Zechariah. And I want to show you something very quickly. Zechariah, it's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. Second to the last book of the Old Testament. Go to Zechariah, go to the last last chapter, Zechariah 14. And in Zechariah 14, in verse 4, it says, in that day. And in context, this passage here is describing in some detail the second coming of Christ the second coming of the lord at the end of the tribulation to judge the world and it says in that day his feet will stand on the mount of olives and it says that you know from there he will go out to to do battle so his feet will actually stand on the mount of olives the mount of olives are located just to the east of the temple mount in jerusalem but the point I'm making here is, <clears throat> by going back to Isaiah 63 is to point out that when Jesus actually comes back, he's going to start his judging, He's going to start his, if you will, his killing of the unrighteous all the way down in Edom, in Basra. And why would he do that? Why would he start in? Basra, as opposed to start up there in uh, Jerusalem, where he actually steps down onto the earth. Remember, as he left in Acts chapter 1, at the end of his 40 days after his resurrection, it says that he he was uh, translated up into heaven from the Mount of Olives, and the angel said that's how he will come back. Well, that's what Zechariah 14.4 tells us, he will stand on the mount of olives but he actually starts his judging in the south during the day of the lord and that's what we're going to look at in daniel in our next um, program but now we're going to transition from our teaching over to our Q&A and we're going to take up where we left off in our last program and we basically were wrapping up a review of Matthew chapter 25 Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 the parable of the 10 virgins where we have making been making the point through the scriptures that this is an example of how the holy spirit work or will work will manifest himself during the tribulation period during that 7 year terrible time of punishment and wrath poured out on the earth with the primary focus of bringing israel to a saving knowledge of their messiah and that won't happen until the end of that seven-year period. The seven-year period is what the Old Testament calls the 70th week of Daniel. And of course, in Daniel chapter 9, it's described in some detail, and we know that it's for and about Israel. That tribulation has nothing to do with the church. And during that tribulation, it talks about how The Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit will manifest Himself as He did in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament when He would come on people who were righteous, but if they turned from their righteousness, in other words, they lost their righteousness by practicing iniquity, the Holy Spirit would leave them. And that's what the parable of the ten virgins and the oil is all about. Half of those ten virgins, not the bride, not the church, so we know it's not about the rapture. It's not about the church. It's about those who are invited to the wedding feast. And that's principally talking about Israel at the end of the tribulation when the Lord comes back to have the feast. Remember, we've been in heaven with the Lord during the tribulation. We are wedded to him as his bride. Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Those virgins are wedding attendants, if you will, who were invited to the supper. They are not the bride. They are not the church. Five of them are allowed to go into the wedding feast. The reason they're allowed to go into the wedding feast is they were counted as righteous because they had maintained their oil. And the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, a representation of a righteous lifestyle. So at the end of the tribulation, when the Lord came back and they didn't know when He was coming. remember it says there, I believe it's verse five that he delayed. And that's an, that's uh, referred to elsewhere in Matthew 24 uh, in one of those parables about how the uh, the uh, master of the or, excuse me, the servant who was put in charge of the house, started to do evil things because he didn't know when his master was coming back because he was delayed. Well, that's the Lord coming back at a time that they don't know. So it appears that he's being delayed, so they're going about their evil, sinful lifestyle without the Holy Spirit. But as we learn through those eight parables, there were those who maintained their righteousness and that were aware that the Lord would be coming back at some point in time and those were the five virgins who maintained their um, righteousness through maintaining symbolically their oil. The other five virgins had lost their oil, so at some point in time they were, uh, according to that parable, righteous. They had the Holy Spirit, but they lost the Holy Spirit. And what was significant is that they did not have the Holy Spirit when the Lord came back, so they were found unrighteous and the Lord would not allow them to enter the wedding feast that was there for his bride, which is us. They were not allowed to come in and celebrate with the church because they were unrighteous. He says, I didn't know you. And, of course, we went back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where the Lord is telling Israel at that point in time in Matthew. Remember, that's the, that's the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he's talking, Jesus is talking to Israel about what life would be like in the earthly kingdom if they would accept him at that point in time. Of course, we know from the scriptures that Israel refused him, and he withdrew the offer of that kingdom until a later date, which he would then set up at the second coming to the earth. But he told those people, and it's a basically a parallel description of the end of the parable of the Ten virgins where he told those five virgins who tried to get in, "I did not know you. I don't know who you are." He uses the same verbiage in talking to Israel in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 7:21 to23, "I didn't know you away from me uh, into eternal darkness. So he's talking to Israel here. He's not talking to the church. And that's so important to understand that only those who maintain their righteousness would be saved at the end. So, as we have gone through this over any number of um, Q and A portions of our programs here recently, I think the whole thing now, after having gone through Matthew twenty-five one through thirteen, it helps you to understand that verse in Matthew twenty-four that is so often taken out of context that now perhaps you can understand it in context. And that's Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. He's talking to the apostles about the seven-year tribulation where the Holy Spirit, according to Matthew 25 and the parable of the ten virgins, would come on you but would leave you as well as he did with the five who didn't have the oil. So it helps you to understand now Matthew 24, 13 when it reads, but the one who endures to the end, the end of what? The end of the tribulation, he will be saved. The one who maintained the oil, the one who maintained their righteousness to the end, to the end of the tribulation, they will be saved. You never see that phraseology used with the church. Because as a member of the church, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. There's nothing about enduring to be saved relative to the church. Whenever you see a phrase used about enduring for the church, it means to endure, uh, to do the best you can with what the Holy Spirit has given you as a Christian, as a one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit permanently so that you can receive your rewards. The phraseology used for the church is endure so that you don't lose your crowns, that you don't lose your rewards. There's never any phraseology relative to the church where it says endure in order to be saved. That applies to Israel. Um, and frankly to anyone in the tribulation, but it's talking about Israel here, that endure to the end so that you will have the Holy Spirit in your possession when Jesus judges you. That is so important to understand. So kind of wrapping that whole point up here about the period of the tribulation, that there are, it's an understanding that at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes to judge, He's going to judge all of those who had maintained their righteousness in the Old Testament and during the Tribulation. He's not coming to judge the church, which was the period of time, now 2,000 years, between the Old Testament and the Tribulation. He's not judging the church. He's judging the Old Testament saints, and he's going to judge the saints of the Tribulation, the saints being those who who maintained their righteousness until the end of their life or until the Lord came at his second coming. So we'll get into some scriptures in our next lesson in Daniel about those particular people and how they are judged. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air.
0: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.